Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Hello and welcome to Springboard, your virtual investor. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard. This is your most inspirational show and that place where the greatest minds in the world converge. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana and Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. So today we are back in the engine room where we find out the joys, the tears, the learnings, the pains of people on the front line of their professions. And today I would like to take us through the, the past, the present, and if I may, the future of the BBC News Kamala Dumont Journalist of the Year, my own Parkwesi Asari. Parkwesi, good to see you. Hi, Albert. Uh, it's great to be on your show. It's a blessing. After almost, let's say, 14 years on yes. this journey. Yes, yes. Of, uh, of knowing you, actually. Yes. So congratulations. Thank you. On that award. And uh, it's just a joy to see the response across the world and the total, I wouldn't say transformation. It's more like the world getting to know what I've always known, that you have something very special um, as a gift from God. Has it changed your life? I think so. I mean... A lot of things um, have changed within the last three months of my life. Um, of course, things have not been the same. Um, the people I've met, the places I've gone, the people who've called me, um, it's been transformational. You know, it's been exciting and um, I'll call it a once in a lifetime opportunity which, which came to me. Um, after the announcement. Let's go back to your journalistic journey. And how, how many years have you been in journalism? Um, ever since my days at the University of Ghana, uh, this this was in, um, I think it must have started in 2006, uh, when I started working as a student volunteer at Radio Universe, our campus radio station. And so I started working there as a presenter, uh, and a broadcast generous. Uh, so we broadcast to the campus community. The universe should be the place that we should go. The number of people going to university. Yes, yes, yes. So that's where I started actually uh, reporting on stories within campus and all that. And then um, I got a call one day from. What were you on campus? I was doing political science and sociology then. Did you think you would become a journalist at the time? I didn't think so. I didn't think so. The only reason I, I got into journalism was because um, I think a lot of friends kept pushing me and telling me that I had something, something that I didn't know about. So, I mean, from JHS, my friends have always been in love. They've been excited listening to me, you know, hearing me talk. And anytime a teacher came to the class and wanted somebody to read, um, 
I'll be the first name to be mentioned. And right after reading, my friends will be clapping for me, you know, excitedly. And this went on until I got to the to secondary school. It continued as well. And so the closer ones kept telling me that, you know, we think that you've got something, uh, maybe you should begin to consider journalism. Um, and so my mom um, was an avid Joy FM listener. Uh, the days of Kamala Dumont, you'd wake up at 5 a.m. and she's listening to the BBC and then transitioning to Joy FM, listening to Kamala Dumont host the super morning show and so it was a natural drift for me you know and my other siblings and so i became a listener of joy fm as well and um started working at radio universe and uh, just doing what i i know to do um also sometimes hide in my room um take the graphic and start reading to myself recording uh, just to hear how i sound you know so yes i kept at that um so i think after a year of working at universe i got a call one day from someone who said he was called Murawudu, um who was working with city well, yeah. and then, yes and then he said he was traveling he was actually in the car with his boss uh who would later be known to me as samalata mentor and um he was quite you know, excited hearing me on radio and asked him to reach out, uh, you know, so he set up a, a meeting and I met some of our mentor then, and then he offered me a job at City FM while I was still on campus. And so I had to tell my friends that, you know, I was making a move um, out of campus to work with City FM and that was how it started. So um, I, was, I was doing the Straight Ahead Summons put me on the 6 a.m. morning at 6 a.m. news. Uh, so they'll pick me from campus around 3 a.m. and go drop me. I read the news and wake up until 12 p.m. and I've got to come back to campus. So that was the shift I was running up until I finished. How are you managing lectures? It was difficult, Albert. Um, I missed a number of lectures, uh, you know, because I was working and, and look, they'll pick me around 2, 3 a.m. because they had to pick other people. You know, I remember um, they'll pick me, pick uh, Martin Sidi Data, pick Vivian Kai uh, local because we all didn't have cars at the time. And so it was it was a tough one. And that actually was a reason I had to leave because um, then I had to write my final thesis. Um, I realized the pressure was mounting. And so I had to take um, leave of work to go and uh, consider my final papers. So here you were in Ligon, faithfully reading your political science mm -hmm. and was it sociology? Sociology, right. I, I, did, I did that as well, sociology. Mm -hmm. So, and then having the inkling that you could become possibly a journalist. Right. But the, the 2 a.m. part is what freaks me out. Mm -hmm. Because work ethic is birthed yeah. out of some of those experiences. Yeah. So after school, what happened? Yeah, so um, I finished uh, my, my long essay, got home, and then just after a month, while I was uh, trying to see how I could get back into City FM, um, I get a, a call from Matukwame Nadasi and uh, says, listen, uh, would you want to work at Joy FM? I said, why not? I mean, Joy was the biggest thing then. So then I got into Joy FM. Did my mother play a role? No, she didn't play a role. She didn't play a role. <laughs> <laughs> but she was excited knowing that I was going to work at Joy FM. Uh, so um, I got into Joy FM and then Joy FM also put me on the 6 a.m. news. And 
I mean, um, I must have had something, uh, you know, because especially for Joy, it wasn't easy putting people on, on air. They were very, very uh, particular about people who would read on air. And I was about the only national service person who was doing a major bulletin like the 6 a.m. news. And right from there, they put me on the business news at 8. And so I'll do the 6 a.m. news, which was initially done by Israel Lai. So I took over the 6 a.m. news, and then I was doing the, the business report at 8 uh, with Pujo Ponkama, who was then hosting the Super Morning Show. Looking back, would you say that the the practice of some people taking up jobs, taking up opportunities for our internships while in school could be a career booster? Because I can really see that the exposure at universe and then even taking what you did at City mm. made it uh, possible for you to get opportunity right on the youngest achievers sometimes tend to be people who right in school started doing things that absolutely would invest in their career absolutely absolutely um i know a few of my friends uh, who were very much involved in school activities uh, like pencil for instance they had the, this business thing that they used to do then and a few of them who were quite involved and engaged in these activities right from school got um, even in school got to do internship programs i know one of them shelly who you know has been in, with ecobank ever since and it started right from from campus you know and so yes there's, there's a lot to 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 gain uh, from internships while you're in school um it's a very difficult balance you know because you're there to study but i can assure you that beyond the studies there's also a a larger world out there and the the edge to network and to know people is very important and that's what will eventually cascade into getting that internship opportunity which would eventually lead to your breakthrough in life let me zoom in on business news uh, which i know you're very passionate about mm. i know you're a journalist so this is 6 a.m news let me hone in on the business news aspect mm. what was the advantage of doing business news for you albert i I really never set out to be a business news uh, anchor or specialize in business news reporting. So, I mean, it was work at City FM. It was actually Samantha who put me on, on the business uh, news yes. for some reason, I don't know. And um, going for programs and meeting uh, the most important people in the country, bank CEOs, uh, business leaders, and um, a follow-through to Joy FM. And Joy also, for some strange reason, felt I they just had to put me on, on business for some strange reason, which I still don't know till now. <laughs> but that's what has carried through all this period. But it's been, look, there's been a lot of advantage to it. The people I've met, the networks I've built, the the mentoring that I've received, you know, the practical mentoring uh, from some of these business leaders uh, so that I could pick a phone and call um, a bank MD, a former bank MD. Um, and these are the kind of things that you need to navigate yourself through life, you know. In my last discussion with Christabel Dazi, she mentioned that when she relocated to Ghana from the US, the first thing she learned was the power of relational equity the fact that when you are connected and know people mm. it's a huge asset would you look back and say that in that space you gained a lot in that regard absolutely um absolutely absolutely um and i think it all also boils down to your work and the sort of passion and commitment that you you give to your work because people are looking for talent and good work and so a lot of the people 
I've come across have been as a consequence of my work. And so you be in the office and then you get a call, they say, the CEO of this company um, wants to reach out to you because of a story you did. And, and that's how you get to meet these people. So it's, it's one thing getting to know them and another thing also managing that relationship. Okay. And for the benefit of those who may be listening mm, intently, mm, what does it take to manage I wrote a, we wrote a book about mentoring, Comfort and I, about mentoring for success. Mm. And I alluded to the fact in that book that the door can open to you, but by your conduct and choices, that door could also be slammed shut in your face without mm. you even realizing. The person just become unavailable. Mm. So for, for someone with your experience, tell me, what does it take to maintain these relationships? Albert, this is a multi-million dollar question, and I, I, I won't pretend to have the answers, all the answers to it. I don't know how I have done it. Uh, sometimes I'll say it's by the grace of God, but I just believe naturally that you don't always have to be in the faces of people. Mm. People naturally get tired of people. You've got to create a need, and that need is what's going to make people want to to reach out to you. You've got to offer people something, and. I don't know how I have done it over the years, but I think that I've I've managed it pretty well. Um, I know that you know a lot of business people, bank MDs, um, CEOs of companies are much sought after. Everybody wants to know them. Everybody wants to get to meet them. And what everyone does, or most people would do, is to want to ask for one favor or the other. And I think that I've, I've got to be different. I I don't have to be one of the many people bugging people with demands you know i feel i've got to build a certain relationship a beneficial relationship that would eventually make it easy for for us to connect mm. and and that is what i've tried to do over the years and so um i remember um in 2013 was one saturday i wasn't supposed to work on that day um so i was called from the house and told to cover the launch of a KFC. I could have said, you know, I wasn't working and so I wasn't going to do it. Uh, but I opted to do it. It was a free day. So I went, covered the story, did the story. And this was KFC coming into Ghana and launching. And the story was that the, the poultry market in Ghana wasn't sufficient enough in terms of production to meet their need. And so they would have to import from elsewhere to cover up for, for the shortfall. So I did the story and then I was in the office one day and I got a call um, and this gentleman says, hold on, uh, my CEO wants to talk to you, Mr. Ibrahim Mahama. I said, who's that? So then I remember I'd heard his name before. Then his, his brother was vice president. So I picked up a call. I said, hello, sir. He says, my name is Ibrahim Mahama. I said, are you the brother of the vice president? He said, yes. He said, oh, sir, um, it's a delight to talk to you. I was, you know... I was completely beside myself. And then he said, oh, he listened to my story um, about KFC launching and um, the concerns they were expressing. He said, no, that cannot be the case. I mean, he has a poultry farm um, at Asutuari, um, a poultry farm that he invested billions of dollars into, which is doing very well. All they need is government support. They're able to produce this amount of uh, chicken every month. I could come have a look at it and then we arranged and the rest is history. That's how I met a man like Ibrahim Mahama. Um, 
a man who today, I mean, is such a colossal when it comes to business and entrepreneurship. And I have just found a way of managing the relationship with him and with many other people uh, within his circle when we came up with my business 2013, uh, which was a, an idea that Kojo Pongkuma conceived. And as a met member of the business desk, we together worked on this. I'm sure you probably may, may have been a part of that as I well. I was smiling because I was one of the mentors. Yes, so that's, yes, yes, yes. Just, just last week, I was talking to my mentee. He's mm. still doing extremely well. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500. Hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCIUS LLC. Israel, and then just, just recounting how that, that idea was mm. such a phenomenal Phenomenal one. idea, phenomenal. Very, very phenomenal. Because brought the creme de la creme, top 10 business leaders, from bank CEOs to entrepreneurs, Remember people like Alasan and Danny, you know, uh, Frank Edu and other people, you know. So then while at it, we have a graduate. And, and that's where we, we uncovered, discovered people like uh, Horseman Shoes. Yeah, I remember. You well. know, yeah, from that program, yeah. you know. So just at the tail end of the program, Kojo said we needed a guest speaker, you know, for that program. Who do you think we can, we can bring in? So at the meeting, then I just remembered that I met one Ibrahim Mahama. So I said to Kojo, yes, this, this man I met, uh, he's a, a brother of the vice president, he's into big time business. And Kojo said, yes, yes, he's a, he's a, he's a really good uh, businessman. I think you should bring him. Then he had won a contract in Liberia uh, to mine iron ore for Acelo Metal, uh, then the third richest man also in the world. So he was mining iron ore in Liberia. He had given me his number. And another thing I did was that when he gave me his number, I also went a step further to take the contact of his driver. Is that one of the secrets? <laughs> oh, yes. Always have a person to drive number, yes. just in case. You know, these are the people closest to the people we need most. Learn from you. Establish relationship with those people. A lot of people will ignore them, you know, and treat them as non-entities. The gatesmen, the drivers, mm. you know. So then I noticed this man, I was calling, I wasn't getting him, you know, such a busy man. Then I learned, you wouldn't get him. So you called the driver? So I called the driver. Is it? And the driver said, he's traveled. But I had spoken to him about it. I, I got him one time, spoken to him about it. I said, listen, there's a program coming up and your name has been suggested as guest speaker. Uh, he said, okay. He agreed to it and said, we should get back. But I never got him. And time was running out. Time was running out. I went to tell Kojo that, Kojo, this is not possible. We've got just about a week to this program. It's not possible. Kojo looked me in the face and said, you've got to make it happen. You have to make it happen. If you even have to go and sleep at his gates, you've got to make it happen. And that was another challenge he threw at me, the power of relationships again. As a young boy um, growing up, I heard about the coffee shop mafia. You know, the, the top journalists who would often converge at a coffee shop and they were the most powerful journalists, you know, for some strange reason. One of them, Egbert Fable Jr., was a very good friend. He um, happened to be um, attending the same school I did, Ghana National College, and so we're friends. So I called up Egbert and said, Egbert, listen, um, 
And a few times I'd gone to visit him at coffee shop, so Tikweku Bako, Wandiab, and all these people. I said, Egbert, this is. Egbert just told me flat that, listen, you won't get in. He doesn't do media. You won't get in. But in any case, you call Randy. Call Randy and, you know, just mm-hmm. just maybe. And Randy had met me a few times at coffee shop. I'm sure he also used to listen to me at Joy. So I called Randy. And I said, Randy, um, so this is the situation. I met Ibrahim, blah, blah, blah. Um, I've told him about the program. He's agreed to it. Um, but I can't reach him. Can you help me? We need this badly. We started... Actually, we started playing the promo with his name on it. With his name on it. So Randy said, I'll get back to you. Um, he's around, he's at the mines, I'll, but I'll get back to you. So that day, around 11 p.m., I get a call from him, Ibrahim, saying, come to my house the next morning. So I go there, Randy was there, and that is how I got him for the very first time to openly be a guest speaker, to openly talk to the media, something he ordinarily wouldn't do or had not done before. How do you feel on the day? I felt really, really, really excited and special that I was able to get somebody to do something that he ordinarily wouldn't do. Talk to me lessons from that. Which is that we've always got to persevere, um, never give up. Because really, when you think about it, nothing is impossible. Me too. We've got to build good relationships. Know the, the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> and number three? Number three, that your work would take you places. I could have literally predicted these three. Really? Literally. Just before a break, when we come back, let's talk about the award. I mean, I can take back with you on this journey for, for five episodes, but let's come back and talk about what is obviously that day in his life where he said it's all been worth it. The 2 a.m., the investments, the sleepless nights, the hard work is worth it. If you just join us, this is Springboard. Your virtual investor, my guest for today is the, the reigning BBC News Komla Dubo journalist of the year, Pakwisi Asari, helping us to unpack the story of his life. Let's find out when we come back about the day of the announcement and what it did to him. Please don't go away. When you want to eat, just momo it. Tired of the long queues in the supermarket? Pay with Momo. When you really want that beautiful new blouse, just Momo it. When you want to get a trim and get fresh to impress you-know-who, just Momo it. When you need to pay your utility bills and domestic staff, Chani Momo. When you want to send love to the family back home, send some Momo. Join the millions of MTN Momo users all over Ghana and live life the brighter way. So just Momo it. MTN. It's a century of safeguarding dreams with Enterprise Insurance. In the spirit of our 100th anniversary, Enterprise Insurance wraps it up with Yafinia Motor Promotion. One lucky winner will cruise around in a sleek brand new Nissan Kicks SUV. First and second runner-ups will jet off to Dubai for an all-expense paid escape. Renew or get your vehicle insurance between January and June 2024 and win free fuel coupons. Monthly raffle draws give you cool gadgets like laptops, Samsung phones, microwaves, gas cooker, tabletop fridge and many more. Enterprise Insurance Yafinia Motor Promotion is on at all our branches. Call your broker or agent to buy or renew your motor insurance and make history with Ghana's oldest insurance company. Truly trusted. That's the enterprise advantage. Terms and conditions apply. This promo is regulated by the NLA on the Caritas Lottery platform. Enterprise, your advantage. 
Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and to this incredible conversation with my dear friend Pakosi Asari, unpacking the story of his life and how he ventured into journalism. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Vision Foundation and proudly sponsored by MTN Ghana Enterprise Group with media support from the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. The story in its entirety is captured in the daily graphic newspaper as well as graphic online for your reflection. Also, highlights are captured on our social media pages. Let's, let's have a debate. Which of the points is making is touching you the most? Is it the one about connecting with people as well as their support staff? Or is it the one about waking up at 2 a.m. while in the university and missing a few lectures to set yourself on the career path? Which of the points is seeing is really making you think again about your life and your journey. So, Pakistan, let's go on to the day your life changed, the lead up to that. So you applied for this award. Did, did somebody prompt you? Somebody says um, she applied for the Yali Award the last 10 minutes before mm. the deadline, mm. and then she got it. What happened? What did, what did you apply? And had, had you applied before? Right. Uh, so, you know, when the, uh, the award was... Um, started in 2015 comma died in 2014 so the bbc uh came up with this award in 2015 uh, as a way of um, celebrating uh, or immortalizing comrade's memory i was quite excited about it then i had started um star fm with bola ray we had just moved from joy fm and so i decided to take a chance so i applied for the award and um, i was named runner up i'd gone through all the stages up until the final interview stage and then they eventually announced the winner i came runner up and uh, it came with uh, congratulatory messages and all that my mother subsequently uh, my mother who i never told anything to uh, who heard about it subsequently said i should try again and i said no i wasn't going to do it again why because i felt that if i needed to try this award again something substantial had to to change about me it shouldn't be the same Pakusi Asari who just has a degree, who just is a radio journalist. And in fact, I was had been a radio journalist until just three months to the application of the award when I started, um, you know, some part-time with TV3. So I had little to no experience in, in television broadcasting. So I wanted to have something to say if I had to apply for this award again. And so between 2015 and and, and last year, I've been in and out of the country, schooling. I schooled in the UK, did my first master's degree, came back to work, uh, went to the States, did another master's degree, and, and came back to the country. So I've been in and out of the country. Um, I've had substantial um, television experience, a lot more experience with uh, radio and television now. My mind has been more broadened. Uh, my understanding of global issues has been more enhanced. I un understand the African continent a lot better than 15 years ago, uh, than in 2015. And so, and throughout the period, I've had a lot of my friends in Ghana, in, in the media houses, reach out to me and say, Pa, we know you applied for this award in 2015. You were the only one to have been named runner-up. We want to apply for this award. What did you do? And so I walked them through the process. And for the last eight years no Ghanaian has won it we've had two nigerians we've had two kenyans we've had two ugandans we've had a zimbabwean winners so last year um while i was upset about the Ghanaian economy and wanted a way out of of the country uh, because i thought i could get better job elsewhere i took the opportunity 
in February when the award was launched to also apply for the second time because I wanted to stake a claim. I wanted to win this for Ghana. And I believed I could do it. I believe that a lot had changed about me uh, since 2015. And so I gave it a try. Um, it's always a long process. You've got to submit your CV. Uh, you've got to submit work of yourself because they say they want an exceptional broadcaster. And so you submit your broadcasting experience, work you've done. Is it based uh, on a story in particular? Or it could be based on a story. Okay. It could be based on a story. It could be based on a news item. They want to see how well you're able to, to present. And so you send a, a, about 10 minutes video production of yourself doing your work. Uh, either reporting or doing something, your CV, um, you pitch a story idea, which would eventually be if you won the award. Um, and so they go through a lot of this, these and they get back to you. But after a period, it takes a long time because you have several ap applications from across Africa. So just in time, I had applied for a job in Canada, um, which I got. And then um, I decided that I wanted to travel because I wasn't hearing from the BBC. So I bought my tickets. Uh, preparing to travel and just three weeks before my travel I got an email that I had been shortlisted for an interview so I did the interview they told me I was gonna hear back from them I had three days to travel and then I got another email from the BBC saying that you have made it to the top three shortlist how did you feel knowing the last experience I didn't feel any special I just thought that this is a, a recycle of what had happened in 2015. And so I, I laughed at it and they said, well, there's a final process actually. All three of you have got the potential to be this year's winner, but there's a final interview which you've got to go through. Uh, let us know if you are able to do this. So I said yes, and they said they're gonna send me you know, copies of whatever, a Zoom link or so. But I knew by the time that interview was gonna be done, I wouldn't be in Ghana. I had got my tickets. So I traveled. I was supposed to travel on the 17th, get to Canada on the 18th. And this supposed interview was going to happen on the 19th of July. Of July 19th. So I left, packed my bags, packed everything I knew. I was, I was going to start work in August in Canada, traveled across the Atlantic, such a distance through the UK, through to America, and then eventually from America to Canada. So I got to Canada on Tuesday, preparing for Wednesday interview with the BBC, only for them to tell me that you are the winner of the 2023 BBC News Comrade Award. It wasn't an interview. You were in Canada? I was in Canada. Ready to work. Ready to work. Tell me about that part. So what happened? How did you feel the very minute you were told? Was it a phone call, Zoom? What happened? Um, it was another, it, it was, um, it looked like a Zoom, but it wasn't a Zoom you know because they were recording it actually I think on the Friday they sent me that email they knew I was the winner of the award they knew I'd won it but they wanted to capture the moment yeah. because it was all part of that that promo they would release on the day of the announcement that surprise element how do you deal when you're surprised pleasantly surprised how do you deal with um, you speak down to I scream and uh, but, but, but Albert, this was a different feeling. I couldn't believe it. Um, I knew I could win this, but I couldn't believe that this award was waiting for me all this while, that I had to come back after eight years to win this award. And the circumstance under which I won it, the drama, you know, that I had to be in Canada to hear this news. 
Escuchas ese rugido. Sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. It was inexplicable, you know, it was surreal. I what happened in the next few days, like in the next couple of days, you call your mom, what, what do you do? I sent a message to the family group page, which includes my mother, my sister, and my brother. So it's the four of us. And they were caught with a lot of excitement. After I called um, uh, some managers at TVP and told them about it. But for me, immediately, I had to make a decision, you know, the decision of waiting to start work in Canada in August and taking this BBC award. Immediately I said to myself that even if I were to retire on this award, it would be the highest note for any African journalist. I mean, ever since the CNN scrapped the CNN multi-choice award, this has been the biggest thing for any African journalist. And to think that I'll be the first Ghanaian to win it and to think that I would have a chance to work at the BBC for three months, going through mentoring, to think that I'd have to travel to another African country to tell the authentic African story. I mean, this obviously was a once in a lifetime opportunity. So you meant scrapping the Canada opportunity. So I said, you know what, Canada, I've got a 10 year visa. I can always come back here. But this one is once in a lifetime. I'm gonna say, hold on Canada, I'm coming back to Ghana. And to think about the fact that this is the BBC going to make the announcement of Patricia Sarri being the winner of this award. There's nothing bigger than this for me. How long were you in Canada? You don't want to hear this, Elvis. Oh, yeah. Just a week. And you left with no regrets. I left with no regrets. My 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 friends who were hosting me were all surprised. They didn't know why I was leaving. And I didn't tell them. I told them there was unfinished business back home. Because they knew, like, why would you travel all this journey, all these miles, come to Canada just for a week until you're going back to Ghana? So they kept asking, what's the problem? Tell us, what's the, what, what is it? I said, I've got unfinished business. It was unofficial then, you couldn't see it. I couldn't say it. And, and the reason I had to go immediately was because they needed to, I mean, as part of the announcement, they needed my pictures, they needed footage of myself working at TVP, a few other things. So I had to go back to Ghana. Well, let me take a minute to explore. Since then, you've been to BBC, you had quite an experience. And here's what one of my bosses told me. He said, it was God arresting me mm. and saying, Ghana is not done yet with you. Come back. I, I align myself with this thought. <laughs> let, me, let me explore the, the projects you did in Kenya for a minute. Mm. So as part of your award, you were required to do a, a project? Yes. Tell me about it in a minute. So I did a story in Kenya about the, the Kenya government's plan as part of its uh, green revolution, I'll call it, to phase out petrol bikes for electric bikes. And... Um, I mean, Kenya has about 3 million registered motorbikes, and this is a source of income and livelihood for a lot of families in Kenya. I mean, when you think about the, the level of unemployment in the African continent, and you see how this is creating opportunities for the youth in Kenya, you'd want to regularize it. bikes like Okada. Okada, yes. Okay. So they call it the Boda Bodas. Yeah, so we call it Okada. They call it Boda Boda. And so they use it for deliveries and for passenger carries. And so you you think that in this era where we've, we've seen fuel prices go up very high, um, an alternative to that would be electric bikes because all you need for the electric bikes is a charging system. And mind you, Kenya has about over 90% renewable energy. You know, So um, for most of these bikes, 
you just uh, need charging systems for them. Um, so you can charge them in your home. For some, there are swap stations where they go there, once the battery's down, just swap for a newer battery and pay just uh, a, a token. No, yeah. I'm smiling. No? I'm looking into your eyes and the passion with which you are telling the Kenyan story mm. about renewable energy. Mm. Suggest that maybe some people may not even be able to relate to. Mm. For what you do, especially the business side of things and the whole journalistic journey, how hopeful are you that your work could result in policy change? Very briefly. Yes, uh, so uh, since I got back, um, I've had engagements with key people. Um, I've met, I've had a chance of meeting with the former president, uh, who has been quite keen on um, ensuring that the Okada market is well regulated and sanitized. Because at the moment, I mean, we've, we've always played the ostrich, this is illegal, but I mean, it's come to stay. I mean, people are, are doing deliveries with it, uh, some passenger carries. And also, on the flip side, uh, a lot of the crimes that we're seeing are being committed by people in helmets riding on motorbikes and so why don't we we regularize this get the people registered so we can easily identify them so it's, a, it's, a, it's an area of immediate interest for me. absolutely absolutely let me, let me come to the person behind the wall mm. we rarely talk about the person we mm. talk about the public right what kind of person are you um you i do have fears already fear um i fear heights by the way even though i've climbed mount Mount Afaja or Afajatu, as we call it, the mm. fear heights. What do you fear? I think one of my biggest fears has been about the future. Right. Um, the uncertainty about the future and um, whether or not I'm going to make it in life, whether or not I'll be able to make my family happy, whether or not um, beyond the passion for my job, I will be able to sustain the food on the table. What angers you the most about this? I think that the policy incoherence, the fact that we don't have a development plan, that successive governments will follow through and everybody just does what they feel like doing. It makes you happiest. I think putting smiles on the faces of people. It's a favorite color. My favorite color? Why? Favorite food. I've got many favorite foods, but anyway, give me some food and I will not reject it. Favorite football team? Um, for a long time, I have been flexing with Mourinho, Jose Mourinho, and so wherever he goes, I follow him. Which, which team do you support him? I think um, even his current team. It is with Roma. Yes, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> he sent off <laughs> so many times recently. So many times let, recently. Let, let me come to failure. Have you failed before? Albert, I'm human. And just like uh, every human being, we have our failures in life. Of course, I mean, uh, my inability to, to win that award in 2015, I, I saw it as a failure. Uh, was it? I saw it as a failure. Uh, was it? <laughs> Some would say no. Once I didn't win, I, I thought I'd failed at it. Also, I mean, there are things that happen in our lives, like, you know, having to fail in your marriage, for instance. It's been one um, blot, I, I consider it a blot in, in my life. It, it took a heavy toll on me. And so one of the things I decided to do was to step out and go back to school. That's what necessitated my second master's because um, what part of it was the most difficult? Was it the fact that the relationship didn't work and the response after you failed? And by the way, I was at your wedding. Yes, you were. Yes, you were. Did I, did, did I speak well? Did I avoid you, you? You actually officiated that well, didn't you? <laughs> and thanks <laughs> to you, because when I came to talk to you, uh, when I came back from London, I spoke to you. You told me categorically, but practically, I ordinarily would not moderate or officiate a wedding when I do not the couple. But under your circumstance, I will waive that and I'll do it for you. And Thankfully, you were there for me and you did that for me. It was a difficult decision for me to take. Uh, again, 
because of how fluid the situation was. After speaking to people around me, people like you, other people I respect so much, I had to make a decision. I had to think deeply and say that I respect people. Uh, people have played invaluable or made invaluable contributions to my life. But when it comes to taking decisions such as that, I think it's about me and not what people think. So I had to make a decision. And because I remember so well, the, they call it the Adamic story, you know, of Adam and Eve, where Adam said to God that you said I should do this. I never wanted to live my life blaming people for the decisions I made. I believe that I was ultimately responsible for the decisions I made. And I want, wanted to take full responsibility for my actions and my inaction. And so that singular decision to opt out of that relationship was taken by me after careful consideration and after careful consultation with people. And I think the best advice I got from people were the ones that said, this is what I think, but do what you want to do. So you did what you wanted to do. I did what I wanted to do. Looking back? Looking back, I am extremely delighted that I made that decision. And at a point in life, I kind of was asking a lot of questions as to why God put me through that situation. But then again, I asked myself, why not me? Why did God do? Why did this have to happen to me? That was a question, you know. Why did this, why didn't he avert this, you know? If he tells me, he speaks to me. Uh, <laughs> but, but, but you see, I, I said that, Albert, you know, throughout history, a lot of successful people, people who have eventually left an indelible mark in life, have all had to go through turmoils in life and sometimes even question their faith, you know. And for me, I think that um, it was just another phase of my life. Faith in God has strengthened? It has been strengthened, actually, because for me, I think that it could have been worse. And when I look back at my life from where I started it, you know, to where I am today, I have absolutely no reason to be angry with God. So are you to find love? <laughs> I am Tell me where to stop. I'm at a good place. What's a good place? Um, a good place w is where you have a lot of satisfaction, where you don't have to think twice, where you get a lot of comfort. The name of comfort is a very powerful <laughs> thing. That's the name of your wife. <laughs> But the big lesson from that, you know, I'm all about lessons. So mm -hmm. what was the big lesson from this experience, from all that you just shared for me? Um, I, I think that, um, first of all, we've got to take responsibility for the decisions we've made, uh, be it good or bad. We should take ultimate responsibility for that. And also that not all that great is gold, really, you know. And um, I think reflecting on that whole experience, for me, I think that I would live twice. And uh, if I have to make any decision relating to to my marriage or relationship, put in a lot more consideration and probably uh, pay a lot more attention to what you call the red flag. Because we always see the things, you know, that you, for some strange reason, do not give much attention to it. So if there are any lessons at all, Albert, uh, these are the lessons. Thank you for opening up on, on your life. I have seven questions, but I would hold them for our next conversation. But you know it's also made me stronger. I believe so. Yeah. Thank you for being very open about that part of you that probably would have been in chapter. Are you, are you thinking of writing a book? Actually, actually, uh, yes, it's under consideration. I think you should expedite it, and I think you should invest in it. Mm. Intensely. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
will be a gift for posterity and will help it also chronic older story. We are good storytellers, by the way. Thank and storytelling has become so big across the world. Yeah. People are paying top dollar for yeah. courses in storytelling. Why is it so? Well, because there are, there are different ways of telling stories. Some like to be persuasive about it, the style of writing. Um, others like to, to narrate, you know, so there's a narrative to it. And the narratives always come from the one telling the story, like they say, um, until you learn to tell your own story, that, you know, the yeah. tales of hunting will always glorify the hunter. And I mean, you know, the world is now shifting in terms of media consumption, it's shifting towards a new media, which is social media. And so every thing you see is about storytelling be it instagram facebook and you've got to tell these stories within a limited time talking about limited time a young person listening and seeing hey yes this is a beautiful thing to be the bbc news journalism i tell you what i mean for anyone whether in journalism or any any field to see somebody who's hit that place that you see this is the ultimate. It's always inspiring, but it's also always challenging because you ask yourself, would I ever, ever tell mm-hmm. such a story on Springboard or any other platform? Talk to somebody like that and give them some hope to sign up. Well, so I, I mean, Albert, I've known Albert for all these years. I mean, the Springboard every Sunday, you know, he's walking to the studios of Joy FM together with Comfort uh, to present uh, his show. Um, I really never thought that I'll be here today. And I feel delighted to be on his show today. Uh, after many, many, many years. And um, what a time to be on this program. Uh, a time where, you know, um, you've been recognized by the BBC for being a talent in African journalism. Um, I think that everything is possible in this life once you put your mind to it, once you believe it. So just go for the, for the juggler. I mean, do everything you do with the belief and the hope that it is possible once you put your mind to it nothing is impossible you'll always go through the challenges of life you are not alone in it we all go through phases of life but just remember that it won't always be dark morning will definitely come the morning will come and the morning has come for me i like the ending the morning has come may this morning get brighter and brighter and may god continue to show you kindness as you navigate the next phase Thank yeah, Springboard will be tracking the story of your life and how you move this forward in the hope that this will not be the end, but in reality, a new beginning for you, for your family. Escuchas ese rugido? Sientes la experiencia de poder? La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC that you represent. And for every one of you out there, a young man at Ligon waking up at 2 a.m. to go and explore his talent, I trust that the lessons, many as they are, are inspiring you on your own journey. Let's continue this intense debate on social media about which of which of Parkway's lessons is your favorite. And it's allowed. Let's debate it and let's see which one will win. But the highlights are all captured on social media. Let's keep talking as to contemplate what it takes to be significant in life and what happens in the engine room of life outside the TV cameras and off the radio microphones. Thank you, Pakuti. Thank you, Robert. Let's do this again. <laughs> so, so we come your way again next week. My name is Albert Okran, representing Team springboard in this conversation of course with our sponsors 
MTN Ghana Identifiers Group and our media partners, the Multimedia Group and the Graphic Communications Group. So till we come away again next week, my name is Albert saying God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.